Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that we could open our hearts this morning and we might hear from you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Got it right the first time. That's a first. So we're in the season of Advent, as you all very well know, I'm sure. And as you might imagine, this is a rather difficult time for preachers uh, to, 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 to preach well. There's a lot of different ideas and themes that are kind of floating around throughout this season, uh, so which, which makes preaching a little more difficult. You know, we have the, me- the messages of the culture versus the messages of the church. We have the false hope of consumerism that Pastor Josh preached on last week, quite, quite well. And then we have the sure foundations of Christ, which we hear in our scriptures. And this is true to Advent form, right? This is supposed to be an apocalyptic season. This is supposed to be a season of anticipating the end times. This is a season of prophecy and of politics and of power and of poetry. This is a season of yearning and desiring for the birth of a new creation to come and the restoration of all things. And this is something that Jesus and his followers referred to as the kingdom of God. So Advent is supposed to be whetting our appetite for this coming kingdom. In the past few weeks, we've been talking about this in more of a a cosmic sort of scale. We've been talking about this in a way that sort of defies the boundaries of time itself and how all these events sort of speak and inform one another. But I think it's important, and this is what we'll be doing today at least, is to pause and slow down a little bit, and remind ourselves that the kingdom of God unfolds one person at a time. And usually it's not an entire army that impedes the kingdom from coming, but it's the lone human heart. And today we're going to be talking about two people especially who know quite a bit about yearning and longing and desiring for new life to come. We're going to be talking about Elizabeth and Mary. Two cousins who are each expecting a child within their wombs. We have a few pregnant people here this morning, I believe. And those of you who are with child know a little bit of what it's like to maybe receive some um, unsolicited advice, shall we say. Yes, we all know this, right? We could probably all turn to our neighbors and share some of the most worst advice that we've either received or our loved ones have received who've been with child. And those of you who are really close to your due date probably feel this quite a bit these days, right, Mrs. Bell? (laughs) And unfortunately, others around you, they they see you in your discomfort and and it sort of stirs something up within them as if they feel obligated to share their horror stories with you, right? As if that's supposed to make it somehow better. And in the midst of this, you, you kind of develop your own um, filters, praise the Lord, uh, to kind of block some of that stuff out. But then also there is probably some advice that you are actually um, accumulating and assimilating into your, into your own processes, Right? You're learning your own tricks for dealing with nausea or finding new clothes that fit a little bit better (laughs) or finding new tricks on how to help you sleep throughout the night. So who is it who's kind of the the best source of advice and empathy in those moments? Who is it who you try to call in those moments? 
Well, it's probably a beloved family member, right? Or a friend who's currently in your shoes, right? You want to share solutions with this person. You want to you see what it's like to wait well. And so you call them. And again, that's exactly what today's story is about from the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Here we see two cousins coming together. One young, one old, coming together to swap stories and tips, but not just about their pregnancy. They're talking about the sons of promise who are growing within them. They're wondering what this eminent kingdom of God might look like once it arrives and how their sons might play a role in that. They're comparing notes and encouraging one another in anticipation of this arrival, but not just the arrival of these two lives, as wonderful as they each are, but they're anticipating the arrival of an entirely new way of living for all of humanity, not just them. So let's see how God's kingdom kind of unfolds to Elizabeth and Mary, shall we? So first we'll look at Elizabeth, and then we'll look at Mary. So Elizabeth is, according to the scriptures, a woman of righteousness. Now she's married to a priest, Zechariah, which makes her a pastor's wife. Not that that necessarily marks someone as being, you're very righteous, you're very righteous, yes. (laughs) That was not planned. (laughs) But the eyes were very correcting, so there we go. (laughs) But but the Bible says that Elizabeth was righteous and she walked with blamelessness in in the ways of the Lord. She kept all the commandments and statutes of the scriptures, which if you think about it, that's kind of a remarkable thing for the Bible to say about anyone, right? But Elizabeth, this is the kind of person who you want your kids to hang out with. She's kind of the auntie who you always want to be uh, at the table in your home. At least at first glance, you might think that. Because on another level, you you might always have these questions that you're asking in your mind about Elizabeth. Because if we remember in that culture, to be Elizabeth's age and not have a child raises some pretty serious concerns, right? Because in that culture, children are seen as a blessing of the Lord. And to not have children, well, you can kind of see what that might mean. So Elizabeth is a woman of righteousness, but she's also a woman of shame. She's someone who has hoped for a child for years and years and years, but one has never come. And you have to wonder, you know, how often did her neighbors whisper around town and think, what secret is she hiding? She appears to be righteous, but surely there's something there. If you just scratch under the surface a little bit, surely she can't totally be righteous. Well, now Elizabeth is old in her age, and she's probably accepted the fact now that in spite of her devotion to the Lord, she's not having any children. So when you're young, which several of us, I'm going to say us, several of us still are young, you might have a bad year every now and then, right? And what do you tell yourself? You think, well, uh, you know, maybe next year will be better. Maybe next year will be better. And sometimes next year comes, and it actually is better. You know, that promotion that you wanted, it actually came through. Your hard work actually paid off. Hope had actually pulled you through that that anguishing year, and then the next year got you through. You you got what you wanted. But there reaches a point in your life when you kind of realize there's more life behind you than there is in front of you. And you start to realize, you know, maybe that thing I've been wanting for a really long time, maybe it's actually not going to come anymore. 
Maybe the day for that has passed. So it's really, really easy for us at that point, especially to fall into cynicism and resentment because life hasn't turned out the way that we thought it would. You know, maybe you know someone like this who's close to you, whose life has been marked by this kind of resentment, or maybe that's even boiling around, bubbling around within your own heart as well. The world owed this to me, and I didn't get it. And that is exactly what Elizabeth's temptation is, isn't it? But in spite of all the data, in spite of all the history, in spite of all the whispers from her neighbors, the scriptures tell us that Elizabeth remained righteous. This is why she's called righteous, walking blameless in the, na- in the ways of the Lord. Now, there's kind of a tricky thing that I, I need to pause and clarify in this, in this story, in the way that I'm presenting this right now, because I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that because she waited faithfully, she got exactly what she wanted. Now, that is the case in this story. Elizabeth did miraculously conceive and get a child. But I don't want you to hear me today and think, oh, if I just keep on waiting, I'm going to get exactly what I want. Because if we look at the entire canon of scriptures, that is not the story that God tells us. Isaac was given a limp. Paul had a thorn in his his side that was never taken away. Christ himself endured the cross. You see, in fact, the norm in the scriptures actually is that when God gives his answer to us, it's not always in accordance with that initial desire that we had. But he does give us his presence. He does give us his life. So I don't want you to, he- to think here this morning, if I just wait a little bit longer, I'll get what I want. Instead, I think Elizabeth's question for us, Elizabeth's message for us this morning is this. Are you able to keep your heart and your hands open in the midst of discouragement? Or will you become resentful? Will you turn in on yourself? Will you turn down? Or maybe you'll get the exact thing that you want, or maybe you'll get something that you desire. That's actually besides the point. The meaning is this. The point is that you wait for God, and he will give you new life. So that's Elizabeth. Now let's turn our attention to Mary. Mary, in many ways, is on the other end of the spectrum, isn't she? Right? She is a woman of righteousness as well. The scriptures tell us that. But it's not because of decades and decades of walking with the Lord. Rather, it's because God simply deemed her so. Out of his abundant grace that he poured out upon her, the scriptures tell us that he found favor with Mary. But Mary is also a woman of shame, isn't she? Not for reasons like Elizabeth. It's not because she's old without child. No, quite the opposite, actually. The reason why Mary knows shame very well is because she's too young. In fact, we we know that she's probably around 12 or 13. And Mary is also too, um, I I don't know how you, she's too unmarried, let's just say, to have a child, right? She's too unmarried. She's unmarried and she's pregnant. So according to the Levitical law, Mary is should actually be stoned and put to death for her apparent unfaithfulness. I don't think we we let that sit in all that often. So she is punishable by death for what has happened to her. Have people ever whispered about you? You know, maybe in the break room where you work, you kind of walk in, you open the door, you put your lunch on the table, and all of a sudden everyone's just silent. I'm sure maybe that's, that's never anyone in this room, I'm sure. 
I imagine that Nazareth was quite an echo chamber for little Mary, right? I bet those whispers were just bouncing off from house to house, sort of reverberating, turning into this deafening echo chamber for her. We have to remember that the town that she lived in Nazareth was very small, very small. Maybe just twice, twice the number of people who are in this room right now. There's probably 300 people in the town of Nazareth. Can you imagine how quick a rumor would spread in a crowd like that? What sort of questions and statements people would be saying? Oh, poor Joseph. Here he saved up for so long, you know, was able to, to find a bride, and now this happens to him. I wonder who she was with. Who was it did she visit? She's only a young girl. This has ruined her for the rest of her life now. She's been set on the wrong course. And you know there has to be at least one person in that town, because every town has at least one, who's saying, maybe we do carry out the law here. For the sake of the purity of our village, maybe we do need to carry out the law here. So just like Elizabeth, Mary too has to work hard to stave off cynicism and resentment. You know, she very easily could have asked herself, God, what kind of gift is this? Is this what the coming of your kingdom looks like? If that's true, I don't want to be here. I want to move. I need to get out. Well, thankfully, Mary didn't have those thoughts. At least there's no evidence that she did. And she made the conscious decision, the conscious decision to stave off resentment. I wonder how often she thought about those angels' words, right, instead. And I hope and I think that those words were much louder to her than the words of her neighbors. Do you remember when the angel appeared to Mary and told her the power of the Most High will overshadow you? That word overshadow is the same term for God's glory coming into the temple. Only this time, God's glory, when it returns, it's not coming to a building. It's coming to a small body. And Mary's response was, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What a remarkable testimony to all of us Mary gives. So unfortunately, though, the town didn't get to hear the angel's words. If there wasn't resentment in Mary's heart, it was most certainly bouncing around within the village, wasn't it? And so it's quite understandable to see why in her final trimester, Mary decides to go spend some time with her cousin. Maybe some time to, to get out of Nazareth for a little bit and surround herself with some encouragement. And remember, she made the conscious decision to stave off that, um, that resentment. You know, King Saul, back in the Old Testament, he could have remained a faithful king for Israel. That was his option. That was his choice. Jonah could have gone to Nineveh the very first time. The rich young ruler could have come and followed Jesus. Judas had the opportunity to remain a faithful disciple. And on the flip side of all of that, Elizabeth and Mary did have the decision to decline the angel's words. Elizabeth and Mary could have said, we're too young, we're too old. Our villages are too small and insignificant. Our families are too insignificant. We don't want to play any part in this scheme, Lord. Mary and Elizabeth were human, though, just like every other person in the Bible, just like you and me. And even if they had declined, God's promises would have found another way. 
But in spite of the challenges, in spite of the cynicism and the doubt that was bouncing around, Elizabeth and Mary decide to make room in their hearts for God's kingdom. Well, literally as well, they decide to make room in their own persons for God's kingdom as well, right? They made the conscious decision to make room for God. So what about you? Well, I've, I've got good news for you today. This should comfort all of us. No one here is called to give birth to the Messiah. We'll just get that one off. That's, that should be good news to all of us. Or even a prophet. We'll just say that. But God has given us his Holy Spirit. And God has placed us within the fellowship of his church. God has overshadowed us with his grace. And every week we get to come to the table and partake of his spiritual nourishment. To receive from God. To make space for God. That is why we gather every Sunday here in this room, is to make space for God. So what sort of temptations of resentment do you have? What sort of things are holding you back from experiencing that? Maybe you've been, let, you've been uh, passed over of those promotions over and over. Maybe that's a reason for resentment. Or maybe someone in your family is holding you off at arm's distance. Or maybe just going to the mall and bumping shoulders with, with all the consumerism and all that sort of stuff is enough to stir up resentment and cynicism with you. Well, this is why I love turning to Mary's song here, her Magnificat. You know, much more could be said about this song, right? And we don't have enough time to go into all of it this morning. We spent a lot of time talking about Elizabeth and Mary as people. And thankfully, we'll be returning back to Mary's song over and over I invite you to take this home, to pray over it. Maybe even sing it and hum to it yourself. Because in this, you can hear Mary in the presence of the Lord, within the presence of her, of her cousin, Elizabeth, and you can just hear the cynicism peeling off and going away. There is no room for cynicism or resentment in this song, is there? It's nothing but joy and elation, right? You can hear her humble submission to God. You can hear her undaunted faith and the coming of the kingdom of God breaking forth. You hear this abundant worship bubbling out from her and the gratitude for the great things that God has done. She can't help but magnify the Lord. And that is my prayer for us this morning here at Restoration, that we would be a body, that we would be a church that makes room for the Lord, even in this season now right now, in the midst of so much cynicism that's bubbling around throughout our world. May this be a place where we gather and make room for the Lord, that we might be a place that erupts with beautiful song bursting forth and telling of the great things that he has done, both in our hearts as individuals, but then also for us as a community. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We'll invite you now to stand if you're able. In response to God's word, we recite together the words of the Nicene Creed, these ancient words that Christians have been saying for hundreds and hundreds of years and are saying across the globe at this moment.